Hey everyone, welcome back to the MM Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metz. Here along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And uh today we got some news to break down. Uh, and let's just get right into it. Uh start with a play that happened on Saturday night, and then one that happened on Sunday, and I want to touch on both of them because uh, we've made it a point not to talk about the Department of Player Safety too often on this podcast, but uh, both of these plays kind of revolve around it. But I almost more want to talk about the play itself. And of course, the one I'm referring to is between uh, the Detroit Red Wings and Ottawa Senators. Uh, David Perron is suspended six games for cross-checking Artem Zub in the head slash neck area. I don't know where exactly you want to call it. Um, bit of a backstory to this, so... Uh, Larkin was out front of the net puck goes out moves out uh, Matthew Joseph goes to box him out kind of gets up high for sure with his glove and stick and hits him in what looked like the neck area side of the head Larkin drops down like is not moving on the ice very scary scene David Perron who's also on the ice looks over doesn't see who doesn't see who makes the play Artem Zub is standing over Larkin, literally waving for help from the bench. Perron goes over and makes one of the worst cross checks I've seen in a longer time, right on his head, which thank God Zub wasn't hurt. Uh, Perron gets a match penalty out of it and then a six game suspension. Let's start there. Did you see this play when it happened or the night of that it happened? What was your reaction when you did eventually see it? So I didn't see it till the, the morning after at which point i saw the joseph play or the the second half of it with larkin on the ice and i was like oh man like i i must have missed something here um and then yeah got to see the full sequence and was you know it's a terrifying sequence anytime you know it's going to be when when it ends with larkin just lying motionless on the ice and then yeah, the play gets even uglier from there on in. So it was it was pretty shitty all around. The most first thing that came to my mind, like those are multiple things that could result in serious injuries within I don't know fifteen seconds of each other, which is always shitty to see. Yeah, and I mean, it it doesn't seem like Larkin's going to be out long term, which is good. Um, by all accounts, like he, he hasn't been placed on IR, IR from what I've seen. So um, that's good at least, but yeah, like it's hard not to get kind of caught up in the echo chamber. That is Twitter because what I saw that night and the following day was a bunch of Detroit fans going, I can't believe Joseph gets off scot-free and, and Perron might have to deal with this. It's like, no, that is the correct outcome. Like, don't get me wrong, Larkin being hurt is super unfortunate, but that is a two-minute penalty. If you want to argue maybe it's a game, if you were going to be very stingy to try and eliminate everything, sure. But generally speaking, like that is rarely called even a two-minute penalty on the ice, but they correctly identified it as a two-minute penalty during the game. Yeah. The Yeah, I, I think you could go as far as a game, but the NHL, given its precedent, I think that would be a little aggressive. Yeah, and like, again, the only reason you call it a game is if you're cracking down on anything that is close to the head because you just can't convince me that Matthew Joseph looked at him when I'm going to punch this dude right in the head. I'm going to try and knock him out. Like, that's not what happened there. He was going to box the guy out. He got shoved at the last second. And yeah, he's still going to be absolutely responsible for what happens. But talk about, in you know, punish intent, not result. This is the rare case that goes the other way where it's a 
horrible result. But you can't suspend a guy for like six games because of that. Yeah, I will say intent over result, but like you are still responsible for your body, which is why I think you could definitely give him a game. But it's yeah, well, like it was I think ball. intent in that ma- manner is more like because you're still intending to make a play, so that means you're responsible for whatever happens, right? Like, yeah, because I, I definitely agree. It's the same thing with like, um, you know, high sticking or whatever. I mean, I don't really agree with the two versus four being simply blood, but people always go, well, he's going for a stick lift. Why is it his fault? It's like, well, you have to be responsible when you're going for a stick lift. So if you miss the guy's stick and hit him right in the nose with your stick, that's still a penalty, right? Like, yeah. So, but the David Promplay is one of the grosser things I've ever seen and not ever seen, I guess, but like that was, he stares him down for about five seconds. And then you can tell as soon as he winds up, he is going right for the head with both hands of that stick. Oh, a hundred percent. He knew exactly what he was doing. And, and there's like, just with context. I mean, there's really no defense. No, there's no justification for that at all. Because even if it was Zub that caused Larkin to be down on the ice, if you're that pissed off, go drop your gloves and throw a couple punches at the guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can fight him. It <laughs> Uh, we we find those fights generally useless, but you you were allowed to do that. Yeah, there, just... there's better ways to get the message across that you're pissed off and defending your guy than trying to decapitate him with your stick. Yeah, or take his number, like the classic. Yeah, which we will get into taking the number <laughs> in a couple minutes here with another play. But yeah, I just, the other part about this that blows my mind is his agent, Alan Walsh, going on Twitter and just calling the league a circus. And and I think it was a George Paros clown show or something is what, or George Paros circus or something like that. He kept tweeting. It's like, man, I get, you got to defend your client, but like how on earth are you trying to say that this is a joke that he got six games? And it's probably lucky he didn't get more like in any league that takes player safety seriously. This is a 12 plus game suspension. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a joke. He got six games because it should be like 20. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw people keep referencing that he's played so long in the league without a suspension. That should not matter when you're clearly trying to hurt a guy. No. Yeah, exactly. Like, and Again, like you're responsible for your body in the first place. So I think a punishment is reasonable there. Well, like now you're there's just no ambiguity. Because another thing that I think is lost in a lot of suspension talk is like how quickly hockey happens especially at the nhl level but like this was this was not in the heat of like a shift where something went wrong right like the play's dead this was just like i'm skating over it very intentionally doing that because with the speed the game's played at sometimes you know hands can end up higher than they were meant to be it doesn't necessarily have to be a malicious act but this doesn't happen on accident no matter how fast a hockey game functions no, and even again, even if it was Matthew Joseph standing there and he went over and tried to cross-check him in the head, I, that doesn't make it better. I mean, it looks so much worse because it's literally a guy that didn't do the play waving, trying to get your bench to come help, and you try to take his head off. But like, that's not a good excuse. No. <laughs> no, it's really not. It's and terrible. It's just it's, shit. Yeah, and, and it's the same, like... I don't care that he has no suspension history. When a play like this happens, 
that's not something, I mean, if you want to take it into account aggressively, like maybe you can argue that's what bumps it down from if it, I don't know, let's say we should, anyone else, if it's Marshan that does it, it's like, yeah, that should be like 15, 20 games. You know, he's, he's had a history, but for Perron, maybe it's 12 or something like that. But people are trying to say like, he should only get one or two games for that. It's like, no, that's not how it works. As he said, if it was a fast play where a guy kind of turns and he just absolutely drills him from behind and you go, well, I played 890 games or whatever, and I, I don't have a suspension yet. Yeah, you can probably tell because you go, yep, based on your history, we don't think that was intentional. It, there's no shadow of a doubt that this was intentional. Yep, yeah, he took all of the ambiguity out of the play, which is difficult to do in hockey because usually there's a lot of it. Yep, absolutely. Um, so they're appealing the suspension. We'll see what comes of it. I think if the league wants to be treated seriously, um, they have to uphold this six-game suspension. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, if anything, I would go higher. Yeah. Now, that won't be an option for them, but like, I mean, but I, I, I'm fully prepared to, for it to get knocked down to four or something because this league isn't serious. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this could be selection bias that I only pay attention to the successful ones, but I feel like the appeals work fairly often. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't know if that's just because the Department of Player Safety knows that if they try and put it too high, it's going to get appealed. Or like, I don't, like, I have no idea. I, I really don't know why that is, but it does seem like quite often when an appeal happens, it, uh, it gets changed or reduced. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, um, yeah, it just again, like, hopefully Larkin is okay because he is the primary one who was hurt here. Um. You know, Zub was fine. That's good. But it just, uh, there's no place for that uh, in, in hockey at all. No, no, it's brutal. Um, so the other play that happened just a day later uh, was Nick Cousins and Eric Goodbranson getting into it. This one was uh, wild as well. Um, so you want to talk about taking a guy's number. This and I let, let's say, I guess, explain for people who maybe don't know what happened. Um, Nick Cousins comes in, absolutely drills Eric Goodbrands in the numbers. Like, textbook five in a game in minor hockey, you are sitting down in any level of hockey, apparently, but the NHL. You are getting kicked out of the game for that hit. Two minutes. They called a five-minute major and then decide after review to bump it down to two minutes. So... Naturally, when a hit like that, which again, it was a disgusting hit. A couple minutes later, Nick Cousins is going down the wing that Eric Goodbranson is defending. He lets him get to the boards and just dog collars him to the ground and then just starts feeding him on the ground. Nick Cousins goes into a bit of a turtle. Goodbranson then punches him in the back of the head three separate times before they, they're pulled apart. Uh, Goodbranson gets a five in a game for that. And then he, I think he gets... A, an actual game suspension um, after that. I think it was only one. And Nick Cousins, as far as I know, didn't get anything. Maybe he got a fine. Um, there's a lot to take in with this, but I've never seen this before. I just searched it on Twitter. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I thought yeah. uh, I thought I shared it with you. And so, yeah, this is like, this is one of, I, I don't know what the referees were doing here. This is the classic wow. play when you know how people say, well, if the refs aren't going to enforce it, you got to let the players do it. I genuinely think that's stupid. This was the prime example of like, this is why the refs should just do their job. Yeah. Holy crap. 
What a sequence this is, Mike. Yeah, and like, there's no one in the right here. Let me let me be perfectly clear about that because I took some heat from people saying, "Well, what do you want Cabranson to do? Just sit there and take it?" It's like, no, like I, I fully understand why he was pissed off, but it's the three shots while the guy's laying on the ice, just right to the back of his head. That is, it's like there's no there's no place there's no excuse for that. Yeah, and like, that's one of the things where would a lot of people in the same shoes do it? Yeah, but like, you deserve a pretty significant punishment, anyways. And yeah, this looks like something that all comes back to the fact that the refs should have should have shut this down earlier rather than letting the players police themselves because those outcomes are usually worse. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you give Cousins a five minute major, which he absolutely deserved because that hit was oh, disgusting too. Like, yeah, like Cousins is no, absolutely not. Um. You give Actually, that a five no minute major. He, yeah, he d- doesn't belong in the game anymore. No, I, I can't believe they they thought they looked at it. They fully reviewed it and went, no, actually, that's only two. And it, it's simply because Goodbranson got up. Like, imagine Goodbranson yeah, stays down there and has a broken neck. We're talking about a 25 game suspension. Yeah. He's still just which, all the outcome lies there. Yeah. I, again, which is what p- pisses me off about this league sometimes is a 10. In, sorry, intent, not result. It's like, well, both of these things weren't very good. Yeah, like that's close to as dangerous as a play as you can possibly make on the ice without just like turning your stick into a weapon and assaulting someone. Yeah, absolutely. That is one of the worst hits you can make. Yep. The oh, a, Carrying the, speed. You see his back turn and you drive him into the boards anyways, head first. Head first, yep. Yeah, that's about as bad as it gets. Yep. Like the only way it can get worse is if you see a guy with like getting a suicide pass up the middle and you leave your feet and just it's an elbow right to the head or something like that. But it's it's up there. Like yep. um so yeah, like you have you have the officials that are just not doing their job. You have Nick Cousins laying a disgusting hit, and then I, I will fully admit too, like Good Branson should not have punched him in the back of the head, but if you're Nick Cousins, you gotta have a little more pride than that, man. Like you just lead a disgusting hit. You are so lucky that you didn't put your team down for five minutes and that you're still playing in this game. You take the puck down and just absolutely turtle in the corner. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty godless. I uh, just searched it on Twitter. Cause like I said, I hadn't seen this, but uh, there's a Pete Blackburn tweet that said good Branson was right to go after him and he deserved to be punished. And I feel like that's, pretty fair like again should he should the players police themselves no but are they going to when you let that stuff go of course they are like you gotta you gotta know 100 and again like i don't really blame good branson for going after him like the the original no. takedown giving him a shot oh, while yeah. he's on the ground that is all yeah. i'm not gonna say Stop fine but going. Yeah, exactly it's right going to happen like in any like any high energy event like it's just a certainty if you let shit like that first cousin's hit go is it a good thing necessarily no but like it just is going to happen there is no avoiding that correct so um yeah and then i think branson was the only one who got suspended out of that and he deserved to be suspended but how nick cousins gets away from that basically scott free is just That's beyond insane. me yeah, yeah just beyond me um yeah, there. I don't know if it's a bit of the, the game is so fast these days. Um, 
Also, I think it's probably a little mixed with we're getting to the point now where guys in the NHL didn't really grow up with a lot of hitting, you know, like it was getting phased out of the game when you and I were going through minor hockey and yep. we've been out of minor hockey for eight years now, almost like yeah. line. It was the first 98 drafted. So he's had time to look like a star and look washed and, you know, roller coaster at that point. Like that's the level of people that have gone through the league since. Yep. So I think it's a mix of both. Like the, the game is definitely faster than ever now. Guys know that power plays are vital. They try to draw them where they can. I'm not saying any, like they're diving, but you know they they know because it will get a reaction or a call potentially if they turn and face their numbers out. They're putting themselves in a little worse positions. And is that right? Not necessarily, but also you know th- there's got to be some place there too where it's like, well, we can't revert back to where it was even like 15 years ago where it was just free free game to absolutely try and give someone CTE. You know. But because even there was one. Was it the Nashville Toronto? No, no, it was Monday night. Who was I watching on Monday night? There was a game that I was watching this week. And and again, like it was the same thing where guy just kind of turns and just gets absolutely plastered into the boards. It's like, oh, my gosh, like that is just an ugly play. I don't know. I don't remember who it was. Might have been last night in the Coyotes Penguins game, but but it, it wasn't near as bad as like the one these two right here. But it's like, geez, like again, that's just a textbook two or five in a game in any league that's not the NHL. Yeah, comfortably. So this is the first time that I was like, yeah, we got to sit down and talk for like 15, 20 minutes about uh suspensions on this podcast in, in a little while. <laughs> like, um, and, and again, it, it's Less so about the suspension, in my opinion, and more the actual plays that led up to them. Yes. Yes, both preventable. Well, yep. yeah, the Joseph one. I guess preventable is yeah. But, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like um, the the Joseph one, it's just bad luck. And, and again, like, I, do I think David Perron meant to try and hurt the guy? Yes. Um do I understand a little more that it was in frust- like in the heat of the moment frustration? Yes. It's not like he was just before the game, like I'm going to try and murder some dude out there. But yeah. It- Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just say, yeah. Like he might not be a horrible person. He might have just lost his composure at a key time, but yeah, he still did it. Yes. You, you still have to own that. Right. So, yeah. um, but yeah. And then the, the good Branson one, it's like, yeah, I understand why good Branson was angry and, the refs are the ones that kind of failed the league there in terms of player safety, in terms of controlling the game. Like the refs failed their job in that, in that situation. Yeah. A hundred percent. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have much more to talk on about than that, but uh, th- those were two plays where I was like, Holy, like we actually have to speak about this because that was the, the craziest kind of back to back and back to back days I've seen in a long time. So uh Let's move on, but before we do, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and we want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbooks accounts is the simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up than now. When you visit our page, which is signupexpert.com slash MNM, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and the unique benefits it brings. 
All of these sports books have valuable sign-up offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sports books, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sports book at signupexpert.com/mnm. All right, uh, some news yesterday that uh, that broke, and let's start with one that I. To be honest, don't have as much to comment on because I'm sure as, you know, it kind of comes out and a little more details uh, release, there might be um, some more to talk about. But it sounds like the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards of the NBA will be getting a new home very shortly. They are moving to uh, Virginia which is from what I understand, just like across the river from where they play. So it's not like it's uh it's not like they're not going to be changing names or anything like that, but it's they're, they're right in downtown right now from how I understand where the, the rink is set up and they are moving closer to an hour outside of where they would be from now. I don't know anything about the specifics, but that immediately makes me mildly worried given um, what happened in uh a government town that I am that I am actually familiar with. Yeah, I just I don't really understand. Like from what it sounds like, it was based on public funding, um, which isn't shocking. But like, I just like they couldn't afford to do it downtown. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean the public didn't give them enough free money to do it downtown. Yes, exactly. Uh, the proposal, which would need state legislature approval, calls for the creation of a $2 billion sports and entertainer and entertainment district south of Washington and Alexandria, just miles from the existing arena. Um, I'm just reading through. This is on ESPN, by the way. Um, but yeah, so like, it just is one of those things that I, yeah, everything we know about successful sports locations, arenas is when they're downtown, they do very well. When they're not downtown, a lot of those struggle a little more than the ones that aren't downtown. You know, like you, you look at some, and some of it's the market too. And maybe they feel that Washington is a good enough market now that they can move the team and not see a, a decrease or anything like that. But like you look at the teams that always seem to be struggling and it's Ottawa, Florida, Arizona. And the biggest complaint about all three of those is, you know, aside from ownership, I'd say at times, but in terms of just getting people to watch is, well, yeah, we don't want to drive an hour plus to get to the game. And I'm not sure if this is quite as bad, like only a couple miles is hard sometimes because that could be a couple minutes or whatever of driving. Or if that's in downtown city traffic, trying to get through that to go out, that could be a lot longer, you know? Yeah, it can become an hour pretty quick so i just to me i don't have too much to say on it other than when i saw it i went that seems very strange especially when the first three responses i saw were yeah not going to any more games then and again that's just a very echo chamber place in in twitter but um just a interesting decision that will be uh curious to see how it develops i guess Yes, I am definitely with that. I I would be terrified if I was the NHL, given how much people blame that exact scenario for Ottawa's attendance problem, and then the only the 
probably most analogous city being the capital in the U.S. doing the exact same thing would, would worry me a fair bit. Yeah, I completely, uh, completely agree. Um, I'm just trying to pull up a uh, couple posts of like how far it would be from where the current arena is to Alexandria. But I, uh, I can't find that right now. So anyways, um, we will move on, but as more details come, we will obviously, uh, uh, discuss them. And, and this isn't scheduled to be completed by like 2028, it sounds like. Um, so they will still be where they are for a number of years, but, um, still it it's quite the, I didn't really think that this was something that they were talking about doing. Like, I didn't realize that they were talking about moving or anything like that. And this kind of came out of nowhere in, in my, yeah. I'm sure people in the local market knew about it a little more, but I thought this came out of nowhere. Yeah. I want to talk to Nate. I want to know like how well-known this was from a Capitals fan perspective. Cause I didn't know this was even being discussed either. Yeah, me either. And so when I saw it, I went, oh, that, that's really weird. Um, so <laughs> I, um, yeah, let, let's move on. I, I don't really have much more to say. Sorry. I'm getting caught in Google searches here and it's not bringing up what I want at all. But uh, um, the other piece of news is uh, the St. Louis Blues have uh, fired their head coach. Yes, they have. This comes out of a, um, or after, I should say, a loss to the Detroit Red Wings last night, um, in which it was a pretty back and forth game. I, I won't lie. It was uh, pretty exciting, I would say, um, for what a St. Louis and Detroit game I thought maybe had the potential to be, which, which was not exciting at all. Uh, they, they had lead changes back and forth, but it just, there was a couple defensive breakdowns, a couple of that. And it's like, oh yeah, that's not great. And then. Sure enough, uh, about midnight local time here, and probably, I guess, 10 or 11 there, uh, it was announced that uh, they had let go of their head coach. And it's like, okay, well, I I understand it. Like, I don't know. I think it, I, it's probably not a hot take for you and I to say this is exactly what we thought the Blues were, but it also felt like the Blues thought they were going to be better than what the Blues were. Yeah, I mean, clearly they did if they're, firing the coach based on their current results, but I think they're basically wasn't I'm pretty sure their like betting market line before the season was eighty and a half points. They have twenty seven points in twenty eight games. Like the Blues are one of the most they are who we thought they were line teams in the entire league. And it's not like we're pretending we're super sharp for saying that. Like they're are what consensus thought. Yeah, um, and I I get it. Like at on at one level, it's like, well, yeah, this team has been really bad for two years, basically. Now, um, a change has got to happen. On the other level, it's like, yeah, it's probably more on the team building than it really is the coach at this point. Yeah, it usually is. I mean, there's people. There's a reason. I think there's a reason there's no like catch-all measure that we that exists that's like hey we've found who good coaches are because you know as we say quite often not that 
coaches are useless or anything, but there seems to be enough of similar quality that most don't make a huge difference. So whenever you see something like this, oftentimes I think the instinct is the correct instinct to be like, well, it's probably more on the team building than the coach. Agreed. Um, I think Craig Berube fits into that definition of just kind of in the middle somewhere. Like, I don't think he's clearly a top five, top seven coach, but he's definitely not a bottom five coach either. Um, yeah, yeah like I don't think there's... A good barometer for me is, would I be very happy if my favorite team fired their favorite coach or their current head coach and replaced him with this guy? And it would be an overwhelming yes right now. And I say that as a team that definitely has a bottom three head coach in the league, but I mean that just kind of shows you where, where he probably falls in the league, you know? Yeah. Like the joy would be more that they, they fired Smith than anything else. But yeah, like that would be a perfectly adequate solution. I feel like. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really think the St. Louis blues are going to improve too much more from this. Like I, as you said, they are who we thought they were or who we thought they were. Sorry. And I would be, Pretty surprised if they don't finish just around a 500 team, maybe slightly below. They catch an absolute goaltending heater or something, maybe slightly above. But, like, the team's just meh, you know? Like, I like Buchnevich. He's really good. I think some teams should really be knocking on their door, seeing if that they if they can acquire him for $5.8 million for this year and next. That would be a savvy move. But, like... Play offers with him? Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, like, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, they're both... Good players, very good, but probably not what this team hoped they were going to blossom into, I would say. Um, yeah, I think they've been pretty good outcomes given everything. But yeah, like they don't seem like a pair of guys who are going to lead you to a Stanley Cup. No, which is kind of what they felt like. Like from what I understand, the idea from management was always that Kyrou and Thomas would be the guys to take over when like, the Ryan O'Reilly's and Braden Shen, who's now 32, take a step back. And again, they've been very good. I just, they haven't been good enough to do that. Right. Yeah. It's like the, the Phil Kessel era in Toronto kind of thing. It's like, they're good. They're doing their job and everything, but they need more. And it's your fault for assuming that they can carry you out of this. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, like, you look down that lineup, it's like, yeah, there's just not a lot of impressive names here. Perry Aiko is just absolutely washed at this point. Um, it's amazing I mean, how quickly he fell off. Eh? He dropped off hard. I mean, he's still been, like, serviceable defensively, I guess, the past couple of years. But when you combine that with just how little offense he creates while on the ice, it's like, okay, just being around okay at uh, defense isn't going to cut it for a guy who's making... Is he making like $7 million, $6.5 million for a number of years more? The red arrow goes on cap friendly. So, so uh, what's that? At least 2030, he's going to be paid till. Yep. 2029 30 is the end of his contract. So he has six more years after this one. Jeez. And yeah, this is another, he kind of is who we thought he is, right? Like he offers nothing offensively at this point. But yeah, he's still an all right defensive player, but you're not really dying to pay six and a half million for that, especially because it's only getting worse. Yeah. And it's really only gotten worse for the past couple of years, right? Like you can see the downward slope here. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. It's following the age curve. 
But yeah, and then Justin Falk, Tori Krug, Nick Letty, Marco Scandella, like their entire blue, uh, blue line is basically, their average age is 34 years old. Or no, sorry, 29.5. And that's because they have 23-year-old Tyler Tucker up on the roster right now. I do not know who that is. But yeah, if you wait by ice time or something, they got to have one of the older blue lines in the league. Yeah, they'd all be, it'd be probably an average of like 31, I would assume. So yeah. I just... And, you know, Bennington, again, like, I think he's been okay this year, if I remember correctly, but it's not like he's he's not a Vezna-winning goaltender or anything like that. He's just fine at best. Yep. Yeah, he's just a guy. And it's just kind of a team right now. <laughs> like, that's the best way to describe it, I think. Yeah. They're, they're, they're in the kind of range that, you know, people like us generally say you'd want to avoid, which, like, they're not getting a lottery. I mean, they technically are getting a lottery pick because everyone in this playoffs gets one, but like, we're not going to win the lottery with any reasonable likelihood. But I have to imagine the playoff odds are really low, also, even by now. Oh, yeah. I'd be shocked if they were above 10%. I was going to say 10. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what Money Puck has. Money Puck has them at. Uh, 11.8%. Oh, that's a pretty good guess. Yeah, which is above Calgary, Montreal, Columbus, Chicago, Anaheim, and San Jose. Not really a group of teams you want to be lumped in with. No. No, it's ahead, not great. Just ahead of them is Ottawa, Buffalo, Seattle, Arizona, Washington. So, like, Washington's been better of recent, but for the four teams above them, Three of them have had absolutely miserable starts to their season compared to what they were hoping for. And then Arizona has been like, yeah, they're kind of who we thought they were too. 13, 13, two seems about right. They're on an L4. Yeah. Yeah. It just all comes back to who they are, who we thought they were, right? Like the flames in the group below them, I wouldn't have guessed, but I mean, they're basically better than all of the teams we assumed they would be better than and then. Yeah, and you know. the Flames, I think, are down there because of how good, I'm assuming, they think the Pacific Division is. Like, the Flames, and we'll get to Edmonton in a bit, the Flames are behind the Oilers in the standings now. The Oilers have three more games to play. Uh, the Kings have four games on hand on the Flames, and the Flames are 10 points behind the Kings already. So, like, they're in a mur- they're in fifth in their own division, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better from that is why the Flames are so low. Yeah, they're screwed. The division is not helping. Yeah, because they deserve to be in anyways at the moment. But no, agreed. Yeah, because yeah, four or three of the bottom four teams in that division are among the sixth least likely to make playoffs on Money Puck. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, another move I think you know this obviously doesn't really relate maybe to the head coach, but a move that uh, happened this week as well is they uh, waived Jakob Vrana, who has also really, really, really struggled this year, unfortunately. That was uh, a move that we actually had some debate about when it happened. Um, You know, the potential was always there, it felt like, with Frenna, and he just unfortunately never really put it all together. He had six points in 19 games. His his actual, like, five-on-five play struggled pretty heavily this year as well, which is uh, super unfortunate because the talent has been there. It's just not been put all together, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, this happens. There's significant risk. It was worth it was worth a shot, but sometimes these things aren't going to work out right. Yep, exactly. Um, 
I'm a little surprised that he got all the way through waivers. Um, Me too. I'm just trying to find his um, contract, though. Does he have another year left on his deal? That could be why. Uh, it is. It is like two and a half million. I'm pretty sure, but it, it, he is a UFA. Okay, so a five point two five million dollars. So that explains why. Yeah, that makes the, more the, sense. The Blues have them cheaper, do they not? Uh, yes, he. Yes, because he uh, the Detroit uh, retained fifty percent. I guess so. It is two point six two five. Oh, two six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But. Still, I guess, you know, if you're looking at a guy, it's like, well, we're not even sure if he's a replacement level player. Teams just still don't really have $2.6 million in cap space to be spending that right now. Yeah, obviously, if he wants to get back in the league, it's going to be a league and show me kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I'm just looking. Six teams could afford him. Seven teams. Jeez. And San Jose, I guess, is right on the cusp there as well. But yeah, like so that was a move that definitely didn't work out and didn't um, help the team because I think they were probably hoping that he could be closer to what he was even last year for them, where he had 14 points in 20 games, 10 goals in 20 games. Like, you know, if you even if you pencil that in, it's like a guy who had like 30 to 35, 30 goals, let's say, you know, obviously 10 and 20 would be a, a 42 goal pace, 41 goal pace. But even if you said 25 to 30, that would have value. But he's just wasn't even doing that this year. Yeah. Yeah. He just didn't look like an NHL player. And maybe it was just a scheme fit thing. But, you know, he tried. Time to move on. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about a couple teams that have had uh hot start to the year or just a hot run of late and let's go to the Eastern conference because uh, we kind of mentioned it. And then we had someone reach out and say that they feel like we're not doing it justice, justice enough. And so figure we'd look into it a little bit more. The New York Rangers are still leading the metropolitan division at 19, seven and one record right now. Um, they are six, four and oh, in their last 10, very sneaky hot start. This division has been sneaky bad though, I would say this year. Um, and, and I want to just preface that with this is nothing on the Rangers, but when you look at the Islanders at 13, seven and seven somehow right behind them, seven, one and two in their last 10. And then the Flyers are in third in this division at 15, 10 and three. And the Capitals are in fourth at 14, eight and three. That's pretty crazy. That is unhinged. Yeah. The division being disappointing basically entirely on the backs of the Hurricanes and the Devils and kind of the Penguins. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the Rangers, the Devils. Devils yeah, the, the... they can't get a save, man. They cannot get a save. No, it's... Like I'm, I'm just going to look it up just to make sure. I'm pretty sure the Devils are like top three in, in top five in Corsi four, they're fifth in Corsi four percentage. And they are sixth fifth. in expected goals for percentage. Okay, they're fifth in evolving hockey's and sixth okay, of the Hurricanes. Yeah. yeah, I'm like a natural stat trick, and they have the Hurricanes third. So they have the Flyers fifth, though. That's pretty crazy, too. Yeah, evolving hockey is the Flyers three. I must have missed something. I did not know the Flyers were like actually playing well this year. Yeah, I didn't really know that either. Um, Sean Couturier, I'm assuming, is having a pretty big impact on that. He's at, I, yeah, he's got 11 goals above replacement on the hockey right now. 
which puts okay, him that, but... yeah exactly that puts him fourth in the entire league yep that makes sense after missing a season why not just come back you know yeah very yeah very impressive basically missed two seasons didn't he Mm-hmm. I don't know if he had played a game in a year in like three quarters or something. And when he did play, it was like 10 games. And then he had missed a bunch more time. Yeah. Go through now. The last time he played a, over a thousand even strength minutes was 2019 20. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And I do actually think like um, John Tortorella is a sneaky good coach for a team like that, too, where it's like, you know, they're not the most talented team in the league. So they need to be super structured. And, Torts is pretty good at getting that kind of system out of his players, it seems like. Yes. I think Torts is an underrated coach, to be honest. Completely agree. I, um, I, I think understand he has a short shelf life, but it seems to get uh, results. Yes, I, I was about to say, I think there's maybe a ceiling to what he can accomplish because of that shelf life, where like, I think he's the perfect guy to take a team like this or Columbus when he was with those guys for a while, and take teams that really don't have a business being in the playoffs and getting them in the playoffs. But I don't know if he, and, and maybe it's just unfair because we haven't seen it. I'm not really sure if he's going to take a team that's like, like Pittsburgh, for example, that you, you think could be up there uh, in the top 10 of the league and truly make them into like a cup favorite or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. But um yeah, so good for Philly. Um, New York, though, as well, like they're taking advantage and, and banking some much-needed points. Um, Artemi Panarin definitely looks better than he has in, in a couple of years past. I was uh, really worried about uh, is a bit of a slope coming for Panarin, but um, he isn't. He's not peak Panarin like he was, you know, a couple of years ago or anything like that. But he's playing uh, definitely well, and it's still absolutely crushing it on the power play, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that would be the least surprising. Yes, 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 he is. He's almost three standard deviations higher than in all three uh, category uh, power play categories for evolving yeah. hockey's RAPM. And he's helping resuscitate Lafreniere. Yes, yes, he is. Um, yeah, we talked about Byfield last week. Lafreniere is having also a bit of a career year, but not as impressive as Byfield. But that's still good because that's much more than what we've seen from the Rangers in or from Lafreniere so far, given the situation. The Rangers have put him in. Yeah, any signs of life are, are a huge positive because if Lafreniere's even a good second line winger, like that's a bit of a game changer compared to what he's been. One hundred percent. Because we were saying, like, and I still think they probably need him to be a little more than that to kind of truly put them over the edge. But we were saying that. You know, Kako and Lafreniere, both, if one of them can become like a fringe first liner and the other one just a decent second liner, like that gives their team legit depth outlook that they haven't had in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is the main thing they were missing, right? Like their power play was always rolling and, you know, Panarin didn't have the play driving metrics in that top line necessarily, but they could always outscore the problem. So it didn't really matter what the XG was. And then some competent depth. All of a sudden, you're looking at a really well-rounded, kind of terrifying team, actually, given who's in net. Yeah, and I think if you're the Rangers, that's got to be the most encouraging part, is that Shesterkin has looked pretty pedestrian so far this year. Yeah, yeah. You're a sleeping giant at this point. If you're yeah. in the President's Trophy hunt, and you're... Like, I don't know Jonathan... if I should call him their best player, but like, Shesterkin's not even playing well. 
top two, top top two player, I would say. And yeah, and yeah. when he's on his game, the most valuable. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jonathan Quick has doubled the goal saved above expected as he coaches Sturkin this year. 8.19 in 10 games for Quick. Quick's got a 9.22, and Shesterkin yeah. has a 9.02. Yeah, and like Shesterkin has 3.7 goals saved above expected. So, you know, he's not playing like poorly, but that's not the top five goaltender that we've kind of come to know out of him recently, you know? Yeah, yeah, you expect more than competence out of Shesterkin. Yes, exactly. Um, And yeah, like again, this team kind of feels... I think with a couple of the other teams struggling, it um, they've done a really good job taking advantage of that and, and getting some points. Um, they kind of feel like I thought they might be in terms of, you know, the records a little higher than I maybe would have guessed, but in terms of like possession metrics, they're 15th in Corsi 4%, 16th in expected goals. Like that seems about right. You know, they're just like an, an average possession team that is going to rely on some high-end skill that they very clearly have. Yeah. Reminds me of the Leafs actually this year. Yes, that's a, that's a good comparable for sure. Um, the one thing Blake Wheeler looks washed with this team, man. Yeah, he's cooked. And Kako's not had a great year either. But yeah, that Blake Wheeler signing, it was low risk. That as long as you don't keep forcing him into top six minutes all year or anything like that, it's still worth the risk in my opinion. But yeah, he has not looked good. Yeah, yeah, it was. Hard to hate given how cheap it was, but I can't say I'm super shocked. It hasn't worked out well either. No, exactly. And like you can argue too that for, you know, if we're going to, if you want to shit on the Blake Wheeler contract, then you have to turn around and say, okay, but the Jonathan Quick contract is working out way better than you could have expected, right? Yeah, it's an absolute steal. Even if he cools off or whatever and just gives you like league average goaltending as a backup, that's insanely valuable for sure and and he's been really good in a, in a point where you're starting your elite starting goaltender is still kind of finding his game this year so um the yeah exactly other... which is all you can ever ask of somebody like that yeah right 100 like they're paying him 750k i'm pretty sure like he's on the league minimum contract so uh you can't be going any better um the islanders i don't need to touch on this team too much this does not feel sustainable. They're seven, one, and two in their last 10. They have seven overtime losses. They've lost in overtime as many times as they lost in regulation. They're below 500. If you're looking at 500 as only wins and losses. That's but they're hilarious. second on the team. The yeah. And second in the division. Yeah. Like um, they have a minus four goal differential in second spot in the division. And they are one of the worst possession metric teams in the league again. It would be kind of funny if. Uh the old Islanders aren't a good team via stats debate uh, comes back, except for the stat that we get to use this time is goals. Hear about how that doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah, I guess they are 21st in expected goals, which is not as bad. They're 30th in Corsi 4 percentage, so uh, they are really going... This is kind of like the Islanders of a couple years ago where they are going into quality, not quantity. Yeah, and I assume it's all quality against the boys that like the Islanders of a couple years ago. Yeah, probably. So, um, and then the only other team I wanted to touch on really quick. Oh my God, the Edmonton Oilers are back. They are. That didn't take long. No, they are in a W8 right now, 8 2 0 in their last 10, 13 12 and 1, which is good enough for up to fourth in the division. 
and they are a singular point out of the playoffs, which they're chasing the Arizona Coyotes. I have a good feeling about who's going to win that battle. Arizona Coyotes slash Nashville Predators, I should say. Yeah, so they're in the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Like, um, yeah, and they've they've two games in hand on the Coyotes and only one point behind them. So by points percentage, they would be in the playoffs. Um, yeah, they're they're better than both of those teams, even if McDavid's season ends tomorrow. Yes, uh, completely agree. And, and that has been one of the biggest things for this team is that uh, Connor McDavid. I don't know if it's just naturally getting a little healthier or or what, but he suddenly has thirty eight points in twenty four games and is climbing up the scoring leaderboards very very quickly. Yeah, shout out Vish who offered me. Uh, Jake Sanderson for him in fantasy hockey like <laughs> 10 games ago. Shockingly, uh, Connor McDavid, still good. He is 12 points away from 900 career points. That's insane. That is crazy. And like, I guess he has been in the league for almost a decade, um, which is still crazy to think about. Like, obviously, that point total is always going to be nuts. But it's even more insane to think about the shortened year due to COVID. He lost half of his rookie year due to injury. He lost part of another year due to COVID. Like, and, but even in the short year, 56 games? Do you remember how many points he had that year? 56 games. He, oh, that was the year he had 156 games, correct? Yep. He had 105. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Like, and then the next year he went and did something that was round as impressive. I would say like 105 in 56 over 82 would be 153.75. Well, two years later, he hit 153 on the dot in 82 games. That's nuts. Yeah. He only missed a hundred once. Yep. With all the COVID BS going on. Yep. And the right year injury. And he absolutely would have smashed that too, but it was the last eight or nine games or whatever that cut cut off and he missed it. He had 97 points in 64 games in that year. Yeah. So you have two more games and he had it. So uh, it's just, I feel like I almost am taking for granted how good this guy is. Oh, I do it sometimes. You just bake it in, kind of forget about it. Yeah, and 75 more points in 49 playoff games. The narrative on this guy was a playoff choker for a couple of years. Yep. I love those narratives. <laughs> they're, they're so stupid. Uh, yeah, because all it takes is one playoff for 33 and 16 and then 20 and 12. It's like, oh yeah, that was that was a very dumb narrative. Yeah, I love finding out that good players are good and they don't just like choose to be bad for some random reason in the playoffs. Yeah. Of course, then it goes to, did he learn how to play the game different? But anyways, yeah, we don't need to get yeah. that to face. It can never be that the narrative was wrong because it was based on, you know, 12 games of hockey and 12 games of hockey don't mean more because we decide we want them to mean more. Yeah, exactly. Shocking. But uh, yeah, like this team, they're getting saves, I think, now as well, which uh, is obviously going to help. But this team feels like, I, I think, it's probably still fair to ask what a legit ceiling for this team is. Like, I think I always kind of thought going into the year, it was a little overrated that they were just like unanimous cup favorites from everyone. Yeah, that was a little odd, but even, I mean, I I, get it too. I think that's more fading the West than anything. 
I guess. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, I like to me, people were like, and again, this is a bit of a um, small sample or whatever, but it felt like anytime you look at the Sportsnet or ESPN shows or whatever, it's like four of the five analysts were picking Edmonton to win it all. It's like, like they they absolutely were a range of five or six teams that should be favored for the cup, but for that many people to be like, this is their year. I just, I didn't really understand it to be completely honest. Yeah. Them being like consensus is funny. Now, if you had to pick and they played the Bruins in the cup finals, who would you favor? It'd probably still have to be the Oilers because I don't trust the Bruins center depth at all. Yeah, that's fair. McDavid's. I think. Pavel Zaka. Yeah. If you're looking at. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the a lot of people should have the edge on Pavel Zaka. It hasn't seemed to matter. Um, I'm, I think if you're looking in the West, I would say the Golden Knights, the Avalanche, and I'll maybe even still throw LA in there as teams that would be favored against the um, Oilers at this point. I would comfortably bet them over the Kings. Yeah, even at, like so. even odds. Yep. Ooh, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. I think I would. I don't think I would the other two, especially not Vegas. Actually, not Colorado either. But I think I would over LA. I don't know LA. I mean Edmonton's playing really really well as well. Like they're second and fourth uh, in Corsi four this year. And Edmonton is Edmonton's fourth, LA's second, I should say. LA's first, and there's the one and two in uh, expected goals four percentage so far this year as well. So they are both playing really well. I just think when I look at the two teams, obviously Edmonton still has the top end talent. LA's given them two good series in a row, and that was without a guy like Quinton Byfield. Yeah, coming yeah, into who Byfield. he might be. And then in that, I don't obviously trust Cam Talbot, but I don't trust Stuart Skinner either. No, the, the goaltending is basically a wash there. Yeah. So I don't know. I think they would probably be around even. Like I, when I say favorite, it'd be like a minus 115 kind of kind of deal. Yeah. 55-45. Yeah. Exactly. Where I think Vegas and Colorado would be a little heavier than that still. Um, and then I don't really know what to make of Dallas either. They've been... Fine, but kind of underwhelming. I think, that, yeah, I think they've been fairly underwhelming. Their yeah, their yeah. underlyings are really good as well, but I, I think they would probably be right in line with Edmonton, LA, kind of there in that tier. Yeah, I would. I would assume they would be the team, the next team behind Edmonton. LA. Yeah, like I think if I'm grouping them, it would be Colorado, Vegas are the two favorites. Edmonton, LA, I'll throw right below there. Dallas is either just clinging onto that tier or one below in kind of their own range. Cause I don't think there's anyone really like once you get past Dallas, I don't think there's anyone even good. Like unless you're really buying into the Canucks this year, the jets as well. They're, they're both just, I, they're decent. Yeah. But you're not realistically expecting anyone else to be scary. No. If you told me the jets or the Canucks went to the cup final at this point, still, I'd be like, you, I don't know if I believe that. I would be very surprised. Yeah. The Jets, maybe I believe it a little more because they, and I mean, like Vancouver does too, but like if Hellebuck stood, stood on his head in a conference final, the Jets team is good enough, I think, to win a round or two to get him there. But 
they would be pretty heavily favored. Or I'm sorry, pretty heavily underdogs by the time they get there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Anyone's one insanity run from a goalie away, and the Jets are as likely as anyone to actually get that. Yes, exactly. And then obviously, like the Canucks, a little less likely, but Demko's still a very good goalie as well. So, um, yes. yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel bad for whoever's going to be the eighth seed in this division because they are going to get absolutely pumped. Yeah, having to run play Vegas is going to suck in the first round. Yeah, Vegas is 25 and 5. That is crazy, man. Yeah, and like realistically, looking at the records, if anyone's catching Vegas, it's the Avalanche, which means you have to play the streaking Avalanche instead. Yeah, You're, good. You're playing last year's cup winner the year before that. Awesome. Yeah. Good luck. Um, so, all right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, we should hopefully we're planning on having a guest next week, uh, which we're super excited about. So, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that because once we confirm it, we will definitely tweet it out and you can find us on Twitter at MNM hockey pod. Uh, you can find me at, at NHL sends and stuff chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66, all of chase's work at eliteprospects.com and my work at last Thank you everyone so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.